we shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender until in God's good time the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of the old.
You're listening to the Alchemical Tech Revolution, and I am your host, Wayne McRoy. Good evening, everyone. Tonight, escalating the eschaton. A lot has happened here in the past week. Well, past several days, at least since the start of this weekend. And we have an awful lot going on on the world stage right now. And I'm just going to start off tonight here with a little bit of a perspective here from the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew records the perspective of Jesus here in Matthew 23, verses 37 through 39. And he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that once again, that was Matthew 23, verses 37 and through 39. Now, I apologize, folks, if you do hear a dog barking in the background. We got a new puppy, and he is very vocal right at the moment. So if you hear him in the background, I apologize for that. <laughs> Try to ignore him. He doesn't like when it's bedtime. So let's put it that way. Uh, but uh, at any rate, that's neither here nor there. But getting back to this, we're looking at some interesting events occurring right now in the world, on the world stage, especially in the Middle East. So we have all of these things happening over in Israel. And it's interesting to look at this from the biblical perspective as well as from an outside perspective as well. And I find it rather challenging. There are many Christians who wholeheartedly support Israel support the Jewish people, thinking they're doing something good, by supporting God's people. And they legitimately believe that their support for the nation of Israel is proper and right, and the right thing to do. And in an instance like this, when you understand there's been this separation of church and state that's happened even there in Israel, the nation of Israel does not represent the Jewish people, or the the root of the Jewish people, the core of the Jewish people, as discussed in the Bible. So looking back in this context and understanding what we have there present does not represent the spiritual side of things. This, once again, has become political. And this is where political motivations have taken over and they've leveraged things said in the Bible and other places to get people to support this escalation of warfare here. Now there's a lot of a lot of things that have happened, a lot of failures that seem to have happened that led up to this. And that's interesting in and of itself because you have one of the most sophisticated intelligence apparatuses ever put together over there in Israel of the Mossad looking at all of this stuff. How did they miss this? There had to be an awful lot of preparation that took place for the Hamas group to put this together and perform this. Are we looking at more stagecraft? We have to ask the question. 
We truly do, and we certainly see a lot of propaganda attached to these events, regardless of whether anything actually went down or not. And we see here that there's a lot of correlations to other things that have happened in this world. Once again, we have this whole notion of this mind hook to capture the imaginations of the people. And it seems to me that these players in positions of power in this world, it seems they weren't satisfied with the whole Ukraine deal at this point. It's taking much too long. It hasn't really sparked the outrage exactly that they were intending for it to do so. So it seems to me they've shifted gears and they've focused the attention elsewhere now. And of course, this one's always a hot topic because, once again, this is another one of the sacred cows that you dare not touch. The religion of Judaism and the people of the nation of Israel, these are two different things, two different aspects. Judaism, Jews, are they a race or are they, is that a religion? Think about that. And we've always had this dichotomy of thought, and people are genuinely confused about this, especially those of us that are not of Jewish lineage and don't understand a lot of the old Judaistic traditions, Judaic traditions and stuff like that, things taught in the Torah and that kind of thing. So we don't understand. So there's a lot of confusion, especially here in America with the Christian right wing here. And you'll notice it's always referred to as the Christian right because it's, once again, another one of these things that's been politicized. And that's wherein we find a problem. So there's a lot of really sincere Christians out there that are praying for Israel to be able to wipe these people off of the map. Now, does that sound like Jesus, something Jesus would say or want? Would he really be praying for the destruction of human life? He said he came to save all. And he also said that his will is that none should perish, but all should come to repentance through him. So with that being the case, does it really stand to reason to think that we should be praying for the destruction of people? And we're seeing destruction of people. Have we not read our Old Testament as well? understand an eye for an eye that kind of way of thinking that does not does not represent the way Christ thought he told us to turn the other cheek now that's not to say you back down and be a coward about things or that's not to say you don't stand up and defend yourself most certainly you can defend yourself but we legitimately have some of those in Israeli government calling for the genocide of a people. And we have here in America, much of the Christianity in America, well, we need to support Israel no matter what. Because you know what? That's been indoctrinated into us from the pulpit for many, many, many years now. That we must support Israel. That these are God's chosen people. Now, Here's the problem. Are we talking about the same Israel that God is? The people of Israel. Are we talking about the same group of people that God is? And do we understand what our Bible tells us about that? Do we understand what we can see about that? 
Now, does this apply to the nation of Israel, this political state that has been formed now? And should we be supporting them? Or is this all political gameplay that's going on? And here's the thing. If there really are terroristic actions and stuff like this taking place over there, and I say if because, honestly, we're at a point in history where we don't know what to believe anymore. This is what's being reported to us. I personally do not know anybody in Israel. Okay, let's put it that way. I don't know anybody there. I don't know anybody that's over there where this is allegedly happening. I just see the stuff coming across social media and across mainstream news about the things happening there. And, of course, they always want to report the atrocities. You see, this is how propaganda works. And you'll notice, it seems strange that... It seems that it's a very one-sided type of coverage that comes across. Now, we do get reports, yes, there are people who are protesting on the side of the Palestinians in various places. And I just recently saw today that France had outlawed any pro-Palestine protests in their country now. Why is that? Why is that? Why Is it not okay to just not want to see anybody being killed or driven out of their homes or enslaved or diminished in some way? Is there anything wrong with that? Now, the problem with this is because it's a very small area which these people both claim rights to, these people groups both claim rights to, and we have seen Israel largely controls this area, the Gaza Strip, this area of Gaza. So they have separated out these people from Israel, the, the Palestinians. They built a, a big protective barrier, a wall there, I suppose. Didn't do an awful lot of good in this case, did it? But uh, at any rate, that's if you believe any of the, the mainstream details that are coming across. And this is where it's problematic, because we don't know what to believe anymore. Because you're handed this stuff, it is so scripted. Everything that's coming across the news screen is so scripted, it's like you almost expect it. Like, honestly, how many times have we seen them, oh, they're killing the children, it's, it's terrible, they're, they're doing all these horrific Things that human beings don't do. It's just monstrous. These people, they're, they're so heinous. And we're seeing that. And of course, the people that are claiming to be the ones running this whole Hamas organization or some such thing are saying, we, we, we didn't do any of that stuff. We haven't killed anyone. And then there's the, the notion of intelligence failures on the Israeli side. How did you not see this coming? Did they not notice all of these motorized parasailing devices being bought up and used over there? They would have would have had to have trained with these things for quite a while. Let's be honest, something like this just doesn't happen 
overnight. They don't just, okay, now we got all this stuff, let's go get it done. And they just go and do this thing. No, this, this was an orchestrated attack. Let's put it that way. There had to be training going on. You, you mean to tell me the most the most sophisticated intelligence apparatus ever on the face of the earth somehow didn't know anything about this. They, they missed out on this thing being planned and going on. They weren't prepared for it on a holiday. Not just a holiday, but a strange day in history. You see, just like everything else, this whole thing was planned according to the sky clock once again. So this demonstrates to me that there was a more sophisticated intelligence behind this going on. Whether or not you think there was any actual real attacks or terrorist things going on there, this is the story we're handed, and the date, of course, we're handed it on was October 7th. Why don't we take a look at some of the historical events that happened on October 7th. October 7th, 1940, during World War II in Europe, German troops invaded Romania and took and, and seized control of strategic oil fields there. October 7, 1942, the establishment of the United Nations War Crimes Commission is made by Britain and the U.S. October 7, 1944, Auschwitz-Birkenau, Sonderkommando Revolt. The short-lived rebellion was staged by prisoners who worked at a crematorium after they learned that the Nazis planned to execute most of the squad. The revolt was quickly put down and over 450 people were killed. October 7th, 1949, the German Democratic Republic came into existence in East Germany, dominated by Soviet Russia. It lasted until German reunification in 1990. So let's pause for a second there, folks. So we have an awful lot of these connections back to World War II, to various things, and of course to Germany, Nazi Germany, of course, and they always invoke Nazi Germany in this stuff. And, of course, as we'll see after I continue reading through this list and pointing back to some other events that happened on October 7th, previous times, we'll make more connection back to the Nazi Germany thing. But let's continue. October 7th, 1951, the third government of Israel is formed by David Ben-Gurion. That's right. October 7th, 1959. People on Earth get the first glimpse of the dark side of the moon. The Soviet spacecraft Luna 3 took pictures of the far side of the moon, allegedly. The images sent by the probe covered about 70% of the far side of Earth's natural satellite, and they were instrumental in helping astronomers make the first atlas of the dark side of the moon. The far or dark side of the moon is the side of the moon that cannot be seen from Earth because of the way the moon orbits around the Earth and rotates on its own axis. Due to lunar libration, people on Earth can see about 59% of the moon over time. Gonna pause there. An awful lot of focus on the moon. Not a coincidence. 
If you've listened to anything I've been saying for the past 10 months, you'll notice. Once again, we have many themes that keep cropping up, the moon being one of the primary ones associated with this. Of course, the moon being a symbol of death and rebirth. Death and rebirth here. And perhaps we'll make some more connections here. But let's continue on because we're not done. There's more. October 7th, 1985. Palestinian terrorists seized the Italian passenger ship Achille Lauro, carrying about 440 persons, threatening to blow it up if Israel did not free 50 Palestinian prisoners. Leon Klinghoffer, an elderly wheelchair-bound American, was murdered. I'm gonna pause for a moment there, folks. Sounds like a familiar type scenario, doesn't it? Hostages taken by Palestinians demanding Israel free prisoners, and if they don't, well, they'll start executing people. And wouldn't you know it, those heinous Palestinians, they killed an elderly wheelchair-bound American. In 1985, they're despicable, you see. And, of course, the propaganda always runs deep. Now, not to say that perhaps there are not some of these organizations, these organized crime organizations like this, that may do some heinous things. But much of what you see in the news is likely contrived. I think we could demonstrate that. I think that's demonstrable. You have to take it with a grain of salt. You can't believe what they are telling you or showing you. They like to show pictures of things, video of things that may or may not be the thing they're reporting on. They always make those types of connections. Here's another important one. This one, this one's fun too. October 7th, 1996. The Fox News Channel is introduced. Well, wouldn't you know? 1996, huh? You don't say. Interesting, isn't it? 27 years ago to the day. I'll let you count the ways. 27 years to the day. 27, if you haven't put it together yet. 2 could be broken down as 1, 1. 2 plus 7 is 9, 9, 11. Not only that, 27. 27 is three nines, or the inverted 666. The Marty McFly encode of 666. The inversion, 9, 9, 9. 9 plus 9 plus 9 is 27. Anyway, doesn't end there. And I know a lot of this stuff is maybe a bridge too far for some people. That perhaps they can't buy into that. But always, 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 numbers are employed. Doesn't stop there, and we'll explore that a little bit more here. But here's some more important events that happened October 27th. Sorry, October 7th. October 7th, 2001. The war in Afghanistan begins. American and British troops begin airstrikes against Al-Qaeda and Taliban targets after the Taliban refused to hand over Osama bin Laden, the mastermind of the September 11, 2001 terrorist attacks, 
and other al-Qaeda operatives to the United States. This was nicknamed Operation Enduring Freedom. The military strikes were part of the so-called Global War on Terror. You think all of these things, folks, are a coincidence? They like to use certain dates on the calendar. They like to use the sky clock in various ways. So October 7th, we see these connections. Of course, all these things tie together. Of course, we have the connection back to the global war on terror being kicked off 20 years ago, 20th anniversary thereof. Sorry, 22nd anniversary thereof. The war in Afghanistan begins in 2001. Isn't that interesting? 22 years, the number of the master builder. There's more, if you want to get into more of the dates and the numbers. Let's take a look back to 2017, shall we? One of the major events... That escalated quickly and catapulted this, this now war situation into the mainstream very quickly occurred at a music festival. A music festival. Where else have we seen large numbers of people killed by terrorist activity or action? At a music festival. Well, let's look back to 2017, Las Vegas, Nevada. A guy named Stephen Paddock. When did that happen? That happened on October 1st, 2017. Exactly six years and six days prior to this music festival in which many people were killed in abominable ways, allegedly here. Interesting, isn't it? They always use a festival. It's a ritual of sorts already. Music festivals are a ritual of sorts to begin with. And of course, if you have the spilling of blood at a musical festival... Just adds a little more to the spell being cast, doesn't it? So this was, of course, one of the more heavily, heavily censored topics. Another of their sacred cows to talk about. I've been having to delve into the realm of sacred cows in the, the media quite a bit as of late. Just did a show... Earlier this week, talking about vaccines, one of their big sacred cows. And we're talking about some of their other sacred cows. Of course, shooting events that are questionable. And not just shooting events that are questionable, but also we're talking about this whole notion of Israel. Israel being the victim playing the victim in this game of global warfare. And of course, 
the eschatological ties of all of that. And there are eschatological ties. I mean, you could say all day long, you can argue all day long, what's the right side and what's the wrong side of this to stand on? There is no right side to stand on. Killing people is wrong. Either way. Either way, two wrongs do not make a right. And we have a situation now where things have become just so... The lines have become so blurred with this stuff, with the current state of the world, that this one just resonates differently, folks. This one resonates differently than all the other nonsense that they've thrown at us the past several years here. All the stupid COVID stuff. This, this one truly resonates differently because they know, they know what they're initiating here. It seems to me that perhaps somebody up at the top of the power structure somewhere either purposely decides to use biblical events and the events in the book of Revelation as a blueprint for action purposely, and they plan that, or we are truly seeing the fulfillment of prophecy happening before our eyes or somebody's interpretation of prophecy. And you have to wonder what's correct, what's a correct interpretation of these things? What's incorrect? Where do we go? Where do we stand? How do we pray about this? And here's the thing. Like I said, I personally know a lot of well-meaning Christians who, in my view, I think are praying for the wrong things. And they don't realize they're doing it because they think they're, they're sincerely doing what God would have them do because of the things they've been indoctrinated with in church. That we need to support Israel, that the Israeli people... There are only allies there in the Middle East, and they are just like us, and they have good relations with the Christians here in America. And we need to support them because they're God's chosen people, and somehow if we support them, then, I don't know, we're somehow in more favorable view of God that way, and if we, we don't necessarily support all the things that they do, then somehow, what, all of a sudden we've lost our ticket to salvation? I, I don't understand what the thought process is here but we seem to get that connotation and it's mixed messaging that's come across from the pulpit from as long back as we could look from as far back as i could remember you've always had this notion yes we need to support israel their god's chosen people and here's the thing does that not in and of itself make what christ did null and void if that's the case if god still has this chosen nation this chosen people does that not make what Christ did null and void? Does it not make it moot? But Christians don't want to look at it from that perspective. They don't think about this. They don't really delve deep with these questions. A lot of them. Not saying all of them. Not saying all of them. They just are handed several scriptures from the Bible and are given some interpretation of them either out of context, or not necessarily out of context, but uh, with modern-day thinking applied to it, modern situations or political attachments attached to it. And they're handed this, and they think, 
somehow or another the nation of Israel is righteous. Is, is the nation of Israel really righteous? Is America righteous? Look at our foreign policy here, folks, in America. The nation of America is not righteous in and of itself. There are righteous people here, and I'm sure there's righteous people in Israel too. But see, this is where people get it wrong. You can support the people who live there or the people who practice their religion there, their true religious beliefs there. You can support them without supporting the nation-state or the criminal conglomerate that has taken over the nation-state. You can support them. You can hold them up in prayer. The people, the citizenry, the average person that lives there that's just like you and me, that wants nothing more than to just be left alone to live their lives, to raise their children, to have enough food to eat, maybe go on vacation once or twice a year, live comfortably, and not be harassed constantly. Not be told you're not good enough constantly by somebody else. You can hold up those people. You can pray for those people. You can support those people without supporting the regime that has clearly, clearly shoehorned all of those people into a situation that is not good for them due to their own greedy, selfish agendas. And that's happened on both sides. So I can't in good conscience support the extermination of one people at the hands of another because of some contrivance that was put together probably by a power structure that sits above both of those groups and controls both of those groups. Because this is how it works, folks, in the power structure of this world. Pull the little puppet strings here, pull the puppet strings there, Obviously, there had to be some type of collusion going on because you don't control the most powerful intelligence apparatus in the entire world throughout all of history and not notice that these people have been stockpiling weapons, stockpiling paragliders, and training. Training to strike targets right over your little wall there that you have between the two of you. You don't have that happen. With the technology they have today, they know how I spend $600, folks. You can't tell me that they didn't realize, hey, these people are buying all of these paragliders, motorized paragliders. They're buying all these weapons and resources. Where'd they get all these weapons and resources? Well, likely it was supplied by the intelligence community. And one intelligence agency, well, they, they know something about the other intelligence agencies. They're all interconnected. All of them. Mossad, MI6, MI5, CIA, NSA, KGB. All these intelligence agencies, they know each other. Are you kidding me? They know what the others do. They all have inside tracks within each of these groups. They all have operatives working in all of them. They're all interconnected. 
One knows what the other's doing. If you don't think Mossad doesn't know what the CIA is doing or the CIA doesn't know what Mossad's doing, you're sorely mistaken. The intelligence agencies, they know what's going on. And they've been caught in the past supplying groups like this, training groups like this, and having things like this come to fruition because of the interference of the intelligence agencies on behalf of the banking elites who stands to benefit from outright warfare in Israel and around Israel? Who's going to benefit? I'll take a look at Lockheed Martin's stock. Take a look at Halliburton. General Dynamics. Take a look at all of these different military, industrial, complex, organizations and corporations, all these conglomerates, and of course the banks that they do banking with. The banks always benefit from both sides of a major war, and Israel's already said they're going to rebuild Gaza once they're done destroying it. Well, who's going to finance that, and then who's going to reap the rewards? Of course, the banksters, like everything else. Here's a little secret about war, folks. It could be put an end to immediately if the bankers all of a sudden said, no, we're not going to do this, we're not funding you anymore, you're done. End of story. We're shutting you down. You know, like they did to those Canadian truck drivers, you remember that? They were able to freeze their bank accounts and not be able to transfer money to them. You remember the whole thing with the Canadian truck drivers? They, 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 the same intelligence apparatus that can do that. They, they missed this. They, they can't shut down funding to this Hamas. Really? You're kidding, right? The banking cartels and the intelligence agencies, they, they can't figure out how, how to shut this down, how to not let these people get a hold of this stuff, the money to purchase things like that. You gotta be kidding me, right? Now, that that's the thing. People are so ignorant and do not think about this stuff at all. That's the problem. If something like this has happened, you better believe it was contrived and planned to have happened this way. Now, does that negate the accuracy of Scripture? Does that negate? anything about the Bible. Certainly not. Certainly not. Like I said, maybe there are people in positions of power in this world that like to use that as a playbook or blueprint of sorts on things to do because they know they know that it's going to get attention from the people and intention from the people that fuels this whole thing, gives energy to this, because many people will pay attention to something like this now, when other things they may have missed, other related items, much like this 2017 Las Vegas shooting that happened six years and six days exactly prior to 
this other music festival shooting. Terrorist action. And of course, a lot of people, like I had mentioned, will say that's a bridge too far. They can't wrap their mind around the numbers, the dates, the times, the coincidences, and that's what they'll call it, coincidence. But when they're this numerous, can it still be considered a coincidence? If you sit and figure out the statistical probabilities of things like this falling into place in that way, and the numbers always seeming to align in such a way, could it be? Could it be a coincidence still? You have to wonder. You really have to wonder. But anyway, I'm going to repeat that verse from Matthew 23. Then we're going to read a little bit further here. I have an old book on hand. Let me see what the publication date of this book is. Old book. I picked this book up, oh man, probably a good 25 years ago or so. When I was heavily into the study of eschatology. And this book was first printed in 1990. Printed in the United States of America for Worldwide Distribution, Destiny Image Publishers, P.O. Box 351, Shippensburg, Pennsylvania, 17257. Title of this book is called Israel, the Church, and the Last Days by, Jan, by Dan Juster and Keith Intrader. Intrader. Interesting name. Now... Who were these fellows? I'll tell you from the back cover. Keith Intrader is pastor of El Shaddai Congregation in Frederick, Maryland. I don't know if he still is, folks, but this was as of 1990. His positive and uplifting presentations of the gospel combine an emphasis on dynamic faith, personal integrity, and a Jewish perspective on the scriptures. Keith holds degrees from Harvard University, Baltimore Hebrew College, and Messiah Biblical Institute, he has served as principal of Montgomery County Academy and is on the faculty and board of Messiah Biblical Institute. He is the author of Covenant Relationships and the Apple of His Eye. He lives with his wife Betty and their three children. Like I said, don't know if all of that is still accurate, but this is who this guy was when he wrote this. And here's the other one, the other author. Daniel Juster is the senior minister of Beth Messiah Congregation, Montgomery County, Maryland. He serves as the overseer of several congregations in the USA and abroad. He also serves as a chairman of the board and a faculty member of Messiah Biblical Institute and Graduate School of Theology. He has degrees from Wheaton College and McCormick Theological Seminary, has served as a minister in the Messianic Jewish movement since 1972, and has spoken at numerous conferences and churches. He is the author of Growing to Maturity, Jewish Roots, a Foundation of Biblical Theology, The Dynamics of Our Spiritual Deception, and Jewishness and Jesus. So that's who these guys are. In modern religious or Christian parlance, they would be called Messianic Jews. You see, these would be people who formerly 
practiced Judaism and converted to Christianity, realizing that Christ was the Messiah or the Savior. This was a, a pretty, pretty heavy movement back in the early 2000s, as I recall, Messianic Judaism or the Messianic Jew movement. And this captured the imaginations of a lot of the Christian right here in America. And looking at these guys' records now, wouldn't have realized this back 25 or 20-some-plus years ago when I was studying eschatology and I was actually listening to some of these types of pastors and preachers passing through. Wouldn't have realized then, but looking at... Looking at their accreditations and stuff here, these two were heavily indoctrinated. These two had a lot of influence and probably were on the inside of some political group with some other ulterior motive or agenda for putting forward the notions of messianic Judaism. But not realizing that at the time, I did a lot of heavy study into this back then and found much of what they said compelling. But when you go back and you study some of the things now that you see, a lot of these guys didn't really talk about a lot of the things that are involved in what we would term much of mainline Judaism today, where it diverges from what's taught in the Christian Bible or what's taught in the Old Testament. You see, they have books like the Zohar. They have all different teachings that are derived from Kabbalah. Midrash. All of these different types of teachings that they have now in mainline Judaism that don't line up with what these guys were teaching and talking about because they, I guess, had allegedly thrown that stuff off and went back to the original Torah, or the Old Testament as we would call it in Christianity, and went from there with their directions. So we have here... In this book, don't get me wrong, there's good information to be garnered just about everywhere that you look. But in these troubled times, it's getting harder and harder to discern what's good information and what's not. But there is some good information in here, so we are going to do that again. And I'm going to read this quote because he opens this portion of the book here with this quote from Jesus. He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Matthew 23, verses 37 through 39. Well, let's give a little context to this, because that's what Keith and Trader here. Or is this portion written by Dan Juster? I don't remember which one wrote this portion of the book, but good information here. Here's, let's see 
what he says here. So he says Jesus was speaking here of the leadership in Jerusalem. So let's pause right there. So once again, we could probably say this is the same here today. Jesus would be speaking here to the leadership of Israel. Now he would long to gather together all of those people there, but they simply were not willing and still are not willing. Let's read on. It says here, It was not the people who rejected him, but the leadership. I'm going to pause. This is probably the key important aspect to all of this. You see, it's not the people who live in either Gaza or Palestine or Israel that want this. It's the leadership that has pushed all of this. The leadership. So it's not the people, it's the leaders. And that is where the problem is in all things in this world it's with the leaders. They're the ones calling for war. War. Not the people. The leaders. The people followed their leaders. The house is the temple and the whole governmental quality of prominence and importance that leadership had through the temple and through Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, that would all be devastated. It is common in last days teaching to believe that Israel will turn and accept Jesus. This is correct according to Zechariah. And he says, quote here, this is from the book of Zechariah, quote, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him who grieves for a firstborn son. That's Zechariah 12.10. So then the author here says, I believe these passages imply there will be a recognized leadership among the Jewish people who will make a confession. They will say something directed towards Jesus or Yeshua. Even blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. When they say that, they will see and they will mourn. There's an implication in this text that there will be a confession of Jesus in a preliminary way by Jewish leadership before he returns. And then he goes here to quote Matthew 24. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Matthew 24, verses 13 to 14. So he says, the author says, This seems to indicate that the gospel will be preached in all the world as a witness first. Jesus is not going to come back until the gospel of the kingdom is preached in all the world. How does the dispensationalist handle that? Remember, to the dispensationalist, the church does not preach the gospel of the kingdom. The church will be gone. So it is the Jewish saints during the tribulation who will preach the gospel of the kingdom throughout the world. His coming here does not refer to the rapture part of it. The coming here does not refer to the rapture part of it. The coming here refers to the time later when he actually comes to earth to establish his reign. Going to pause for a moment here, folks. So you see, many have been taught of the notion of the rapture. And that this notion of the rapture will happen in multiple parts. 
So first, the first portion of the rapture is allegedly when the Christian church will be caught away and will be transformed in the twinkling of an eye and will join the angels in the air. Join the dead will rise first, and then the rest of us who are alive and remain will join them in the air, and we will forever be with the Lord. That's what they're taught. But they're also taught that there are saints who preach the gospel during the time of tribulation after the saints are gone. <laughs> it gets a little confusing and muddled, so this is talking about, of course, those of the Jewish faith who come to accept Jesus as Messiah and Savior after that point. So we see here, a lot of the problem is with the leadership, first and foremost. The leadership. And we could get into this whole dispensationalist type of way of thinking and teaching. There's a lot of different theological aspects to this whole notion of the seven-year tribulation, the rapture, all of these things. Which the rapture, the word rapture never appears in the Bible. I'm sure you're aware of that. Now, does that mean that no such thing will happen? I don't know. I can't say for sure. There are things that indicate that perhaps some of the faithful will be taken away either prior to, during, or after the tribulation. And that's another thing. This is stuff that has been so caught up in people's minds about this notion of the eschaton that it's taking up all of these brain cycles for people. And they'll argue about it, and they could make justified points one way or the other. Will the, will the rapture happen before the tribulation? Will it happen after the tribulation? Or will it happen partway through the tribulation? And we could make all kinds of points pointing back to biblical scripture and support each of those claims. But nobody knows for sure. And then, of course, there's others who argue... There is no rapture. There's no mention of a rapture in there. And you can find scripture to back up that point of view, but you could also find scripture to back up the point of view that there is some type of an event that takes place that can be described as a rapture, although it doesn't use those words exactly. But where does that leave us? Here, experiencing these things today, going through these things today, where does that leave us? What are we to do with this information? How do we know what we're looking at and what we're looking for? And this is part of the most important aspect of all of it. One of the most important aspects of all of it. What do we do? What do we do? with this information. Well, we're going to revisit Matthew chapter 24 tonight. We're going to read the instructions that Jesus told us. How to know what we're looking at. And how to know what's the right course of action for ourselves. So let's start from verse 3. And 
As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world? going to pause for a moment here, folks, or depending on the interpretation or the the version of the Bible you're reading from. This could be the end of the age being said here. Not the end of the world, but end of the age. And once again, a lot of this stuff has also been argued heavily upon in Christian theology and by philosophers who like to analyze the scripture. And of course, the mystery school teachings that like to take little bits and pieces of the scripture and try to use them to support or uphold some some thing that they teach as an adequate substitute. But that's neither here nor there, but this is the thing. The disciples went to him, they said, how do we know what, what's, what's the end of the world looking like? How will we know that it's that time and that you're coming again? And Jesus answered them, and he said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Going to pause for a moment here, folks. Now, this is coming directly from Jesus himself. And he's telling us, take heed that no man deceive you. Because there's a lot of deception out there, and there's a lot of people who will purposely deceive you. And there's also a lot of people who will inadvertently deceive you, telling you things that they were taught to be true. You know, things like, we need to absolutely 100% support the nation of Israel in all circumstances because they're God's chosen people. By and large, the Christians who are telling you that they're good-intentioned, they truly think that's the right stance to take on this, and they conflate the political power that is Israel with the spiritual aspect of what Israel was represented as in the Bible. And they're two separate things. But they don't realize that. So they have these intentions. And sometimes, it seems to me, they pray in the wrong direction for things. Meaning well and intending well. But they're deceived and they don't know it. And that's the problem. That's the problem. And Jesus told us, Take heed that no man deceive you. And the deceit's been coming hot and heavy. We're living in the age of deception. And even this, I, I reserve the right to be totally wrong about. Use your own judgment. Use your own discretion. Go out there, pray for yourself. Use the scriptures. Go back, look at the scriptures. Do you think that this course of action, this vehemently praying against these enemies of the nation of Israel, calling for their absolute destruction and their wiping off the face of the earth, do you think that's the spirit of Christ? Or is that something different? Even though it's the prayers coming out of the mouths of good-intentioned people, good-intentioned Christians who truly do not mean to disseminate any evil, but they can't see the error in that way of thinking. And I could be wrong about this, and I would invite you to, if you have an alternate point of view, if you think that perhaps this is God's will, that... Uh, an entire people group be eliminated just because they tried to stand against his chosen people and that 
the nation of Israel represents his chosen people, well, feel free to give me your point of view on that. I'd love to hear it. Just doesn't seem to sit well with my soul or with my spirit to think in those ways that we should pray against these people because by and large, you know who's the ones that are getting hurt in all of this? It's the innocence. It's not the leadership, like I said earlier, wherein the problem lies. It's the leadership on both sides that are working towards agendas that have nothing to do with the well-being of the people at large. So anyway, Jesus says, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Wars and rumors of wars, folks. This is a different kind of war that has now been conveyed. Giving credence to a notion I heard quite some time back that uh, when Jesus is talking about wars and rumors of wars, he's talking about a different type of warfare. Something that's totally different than traditional warfare, and this could be a super sign of the imminent coming of Christ or of the imminent end of the age. Rumors of wars. Wars and rumors of wars. Well, how is this one different? Well, you see, for the first time that I could remember, well, not really the first time, but this is something that changes things slightly because now we have Israel has declared war, formally declared war against Hamas, which is not a sovereign nation. It's a disembodied terrorist organization. Well, this in and of itself makes this war, makes the scope of this war worldwide, potentially, because they could say the hooks of Hamas are everywhere. They're receiving funding from over here, funding from there. They're getting support here. So therefore, we're justified in attacking this sovereign nation over here because perhaps they're funding them. And of course, they'll always point the finger over at Iran because it's expedient for them to do so. And of course, when they're pointing the finger over at Iran... Do you not think Iran's going to get ready for that fight? You see, that's how a lot of this works. It's instigated back and forth. Instigated back and forth. Because guess what? It's the same puppet masters that are controlling both sides of this operation, and that's exactly what it is. It's exactly what it is. It's an operation that was engineered in this way wasn't just one day these Hamas people woke up and decided okay we're going to go ahead and just blow up Israel now let's go do it both sides have legitimate grievances against one another I mean when you think about it the Palestinians were occupying that land when all of a sudden it was decided 
okay, we're going to put the Jews back there. And the Jews came in and said, this is our, our land. God promised us this land and gave it to us. You guys can go have this little portion of this strip here. We'll build the wall. You guys stay over there. You have no rights. Don't come in here. We don't want you. You're kind of subhuman to us. Go there. Live in your own little settlement. Stay away from us. Kick them out of their homes. There you go. Treat them like garbage and filth. Routinely. And then they get offended when these people fight back. When they're kicked out of their, their own land and their own homes. And yes, they have different belief systems, different values, different religious viewpoints. But you know what? That's only a politicized aspect of it right now. You see this, this battle going on, this warfare, this war that's been declared here, is largely a secular type of war. But it's disguised as holy war. Holy war. And I think there's something pretty prophetic about the song that I opened tonight's program with. It's called Holy Wars, The Punishment Due by Megadeth. Listen to the lyrics. Look up the lyrics. And look at all the one-to-one correlations that are going on with those song lyrics. And these events in Israel right now even mentions Israel by name in the song. It's a contrivance, folks. All of these things have been contrived for political reasons, by political motivations. They're trying to instigate a holy war. Now, what were these people at this music festival doing? Was it called a trance festival, folks? A trance festival, according to some of these articles I've read about this music festival where they were practicing Buddhic rites. Does that sound like God's chosen people, the Jews, doing Buddhistic practices at a trance concert? Does that sound like God's chosen people? Like I said, this is largely secular, but they're trying to give it this twist of holy war. And that's why this one seems to hit a little different than the past couple of things they've hit us with. Because they're really invoking the holy war archetype, aren't they? And the propaganda they're handing us in the news media is just beyond the pale ridiculousness. They're bringing back the, you remember the whole Iraqi babies and incubators thing? You remember all that? Well, now they're saying they've They've beheaded children, babies, infants. They've done all these atrocious things. They've made all these claims. Supposedly they've supplied some evidence of this to, I don't know, intelligence agencies or news media somewhere or something. But nobody in the public's really seen this, not to my knowledge anyway. But they make all these claims, they're doing all these terrible things, they have these hostages, and everybody's got to stay on the edge of their seat. They want to know what's going on with these hostages. They're monsters, you see, these people. They're, they're, they're not even human, they're subhuman. But let's take a little break from Matthew 24 for a second. I want to look at one of these articles here tonight, talking about this. 
I believe it was Fox News. Fox News, one of the top stories here about this. Well, anyway, I can't find the news story right now. But Netanyahu was, of course, comparing these people to the Nazis, saying they're one and the same, and was promising to eliminate them all from the face of the earth. I would really love to read the words of this article, but I can't find it now. Of course, now that I'm looking for it specifically, I should have uh, saved the link earlier. But it's gone now because you know how these things change over time. But yeah, here we go. Let's see. Let's look at uh, about this music festival here. It's the Israeli Music Festival. How a trance music festival and a night of dancing and revelry in Israel turned into a massacre. And of course it gives you all of the stories here. We heard sirens and rockets, tons of rockets, said Malit Ben Haim, 27, who attended the festival with a group of friends. A voice boomed from the loudspeakers over the tented stages in the chill-out area that the organizers described as a playground for adults, quote-unquote. Yes, this, this is God's holy people, right? God's chosen people that we're talking about, right? So, of course, they had this notion of a red alert or something, and they started being fired upon, and I guess these guys descended in their paragliders, and people began running, and, of course, the aftermath, of course, they show scenes of people's shoes laying around. You always find shoes in these type of stories. Shoes. Always the same types of tropes with this stuff. It was the Supernova Music Festival. That's what it was called. But it was described by some news agencies and news magazines like Rolling Stone as a trance festival. Trance. And these people were described as peace-loving people. They wouldn't want anything of the sort going on. Well, who would? Let's be honest here. Who in their right minds thinks about this kind of despicable nonsense all the time? Or would want any such thing, want to attack other people in this way? But the whole point here is we have these connections, okay? We have this music festival connection and hearkening back to some other historical events, bringing these archetypes into full view, if you take the time and connect the dots. They're there. We have these connections back to earlier events in Israel itself. We have the connection back to the original global war on terror. We have the connections back to Nazi Germany. You see, they're trying to tie all these archetypes together, and they are trying to invoke this holy war type of an archetype behind this. And that's why this one feels a bit different, in my view. They're hearkening on these different archetypes. They are indeed escalating the eschaton. They're hitting upon certain things that are inherent in the human unconscious mind that we all seem to recognize. We understand that somehow violence in Israel connects to the end times. We've been thoroughly indoctrinated with that. And I think it is something inherent in the human psyche. It, it's there. We recognize it. That we have this, this, type, this type 
of battle in religious philosophy between two people groups. And that is the, the archetype. And of course, this has nothing to do with anything religious, but of course, they're going to spin it that way. This is the powers that be in this world, these dark occultists who run things. They're going for broke. They're going for it all. They really want to escalate this World War III notion. They really do. They want to push this whole World War notion. That's why Israel declared war on this organization that is not a sovereign nation or any such thing at all. But it's, it's kind of a, a, an ambiguous group, an ambiguous, I don't know, loosely associated ideology group or something like that that they could claim is here, claim is there, claim is wherever. And of course, they'll act in unity with the others of their allies, whom Netanyahu called to back him up on this because he invoked 9-11, of course. And they're calling this Israel's 9-11. And he said about how they stood with the United States and others on this global war on terror for the same reasons, and they didn't negotiate then, even though nations were trying to tell Israel to uh, have negotiation meetings and try to have peace talks with Hamas. And Netanyahu said he didn't have any of that type of thing going on with Al-Qaeda or ISIS. And, of course, he conflated Hamas with ISIS and said that they are ISIS. Made all these connections. I wish I could find that news story. I'm going to have to find that. and Maybe I'll write a Substack article about that. Because he made all these inferences. He referred back to Nazis. He referred back to Al-Qaeda. To ISIS, Hamas, said all these organizations are one and the same organization. Pretty much almost in those type of words. Where he said Hamas is ISIS, that, that's what it is. It's the same group. What happened to these people the past three years? Well, I guess they were too busy cowering away from, uh, you know, covid <laughs> and now all of a sudden, they, they, they're back to their terroristic ways again. I guess they didn't learn their lesson from the deadly superbug, huh? They must have ran out and got their multiple vaccines, and now they're good. Now they don't have to be afraid of that little boogeyman thing. Now they could go ahead and plan this stuff and pull this stuff off again. But anyway, it's all political contrivance. But they're trying to invoke the Holy War archetype. And it's getting a ton of attention and a ton of energy focused into it. Because like I said, there's a lot of well-meaning Christians here in the U.S. that have stopped what they're doing and are praying for this situation now. And maybe they're praying for a wrong direction for it. Maybe they're praying in a way in which it escalates the situation rather than diffuses the situation because I don't know about you, but I don't really want to see a world war. I don't want to see that. I don't want to escalate the eschaton. 
Although I suspect we may be heading straight headlong into the eschaton here. I don't want to escalate it in that way. Because I don't think it's in our best interests to do so. I think we need to pray for the right direction of things. If we do not, then we have not learned the lessons. And I think this is part of it. And are we seeing biblical things playing out in front of our eyes? I would say most definitely. Most definitely we are. So the best thing we can do is heed the words of Jesus here. Because remember, he says, Ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Let's continue on, because this is the important thing here. Not anything I personally have to say. That's not what's important. It's what God would have you to hear that's important. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in divers places. going to pause for a moment. I think there were three reported earthquakes within three hours of this event. If memory serves me correctly, I saw somebody making those claims. So we have earthquakes, we have famines, we have pestilences, we have all of these things going on in the world today. He says, all these things are the beginning of sorrows. Then he says, Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you. And ye shall be hated for of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved." going to pause for a moment here, folks. So essentially what he's telling you is things are going to start to look ugly. They already have begun to look ugly. Especially for Christians. Especially for Christians. Now here in the U.S., we're a little bit more shielded from that as Christians than other places in the world. Other places in the world, Christians are truly, truly persecuted. And I, I mean, like, rounded up and killed and tortured and truly persecuted in certain nations of the world, certain regions of the world. Here in America, we're kind of a little bit uh, jaded in that regard. You're a Christian, and you might feel a little bit put off by others because of how they talk about you or what they think about your beliefs and this kind of thing, but we're not outright persecuted in the way that has happened in other parts of the world. But certainly, we do see this. All of these things that Jesus was speaking of here, they, they do apply. And there's a lot of false prophets out there, deceiving many. But he does say, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. He says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. I'm going to pause for a moment. So we saw what the author of this other book 
this book titled Israel, the Church in the Last Days, what his opinion was of that, of what Jesus said here, about how the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Uh, I think pretty much everywhere has probably gotten some aspect of the gospel at this point. So I think that's a moot point, really. I don't think, you know, we need to have the rapture and then have the uh, the Jewish converts after the fact that recognize Jesus as Messiah come back and preach unto other areas of the gospel, as he kind of implied there. I don't think that's the case. But uh, like I said, I, I do totally reserve the right to be wrong on a lot of this stuff. I don't know everything. I'm very flawed in my own biases and things like that as well. But I, I've just been actively seeking truth for a long time now. And I see inconsistencies with some of the things that have been taught in mainline Christianity. Let's be honest about it. And I see inconsistencies in things taught by, well, those detractors of Christianity. They don't truly understand all of the theological underpinnings attached to certain things, or they misinterpret a lot of the scriptures. And see, that's the thing. It's, it's so much of man's interpretation of the scriptures, not so much the words themselves as they're written. It's how people portray them to either support their position or undermine somebody else's position. And, and that's the bottom line with a lot of it. So a lot of it has become... Just this notion of legalism and rhetoric. Either they use it in legalistic fashion, in a way that's not helpful, or they use it as rhetoric, as a tool to prop up some of their own ideas, rather than worrying about what's true and what's not. But anyway, the whole point here, what Jesus is telling us, is he that endures to the end will be saved. So what he's saying, pretty much in modern parlance, is guys, the world around you is going to start to look pretty ugly. Don't be troubled. There's going to be wars. There's going to be rumors of wars. Different kinds of wars and stuff going on. There's going to be all these reports of violence out there. There's going to be people angry at you for no good reason. There's going to be people doing heinous things that I told you not to do. Like all over the place, sin will be rampant. He's saying, don't be troubled. All this kind of has to come to pass. The time's not up yet. That's not the end of the world or the end of the age yet. That's what he's saying. And he says everybody will hear the word of God, will hear the gospel, will hear the good news, will hear about Jesus Christ. And then, after all that stuff, then the end will come. And then he gives us more advice here. He says, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened. 
There should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Going to pause there for a moment. So what is he talking about? He's telling people, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, then you need to flee into the mountains. What he's telling you is you need to understand what's going on. And flee into the mountains, that means flee towards the spiritual, if you want to get down to what the inclination is here. Flee to the spiritual. Retreat from this physical way of thinking, this material world way of thinking, and retreat back to the spiritual point of view. That's what it means. He who is in Judea flee into the mountains on a symbolic level. What is this abomination of desolation? Well, this is where the Antichrist steps in, deifies himself as God. And what exactly will this look like? Hard to say for certain. There's been a lot of speculation by theologians for a long time. Been a lot of speculation by a lot of people for a long time. I have my own speculations, and I very much think artificial intelligence... And the transhumanist philosophy has something to do with this. I think, in my view, this abomination of desolation, standing in the holy place, has everything to do with that. First of all, what is the holy place? Well, know ye not that ye are the temple of God? The temple of God is the holy place. You are the temple. So, what is the abomination of, spe- of desolation, then? Standing in the holy place. That would be the Antichrist spirit residing within you, the temple. So, I think, this is just my point of view. I could be wrong. I think this transhumanist singularity, the merging of man with artificial intelligence man with machine, may represent this desolation, this abomination of desolation, wherein you allow a different type of spirit to step in, an antichrist-type spirit, to step into your body, your temple, the holy place, if you will, and that is the abomination of desolation. When you are merged with the machine, and the machine intelligence takes over the hive mind, that, in my view, is what we're looking at. Like I said, I reserve the right to be totally wrong about that. But I totally see how all of these things align with the transhumanist notion that is being pushed. And how does this relate to, of course, holy war? Well, what could be more holy than the human soul, the human spirit, spirit of God, its connection there too. And he tells us, don't look back. Don't look back. Don't cling to those worldly, material world things that give you comfort. That's not going to help you in those days. Flee to the spiritual side of things. Get back to right relation with him. Because then tribulation will come after this abomination of desolation has taken place. And he says, except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. So he says, then if any man shall say unto you, lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. 
For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and they shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. Going to pause for a moment here, folks. The secret chambers. You know, those secret society groups that tell you all about <laughs> all of these different uh, secret doctrines and Christ consciousness and the Christ and, you know, the all the ascended masters and all of these things. Jesus himself told us, when they tell you, behold, he's in the secret chambers, which means he's you can find him through our secret doctrine and our secret teachings and our secret society group that meets in our secret temples. Believe it not. Then he goes on here and he says, For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. Then he says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light. And the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. And we're going to get to the important part here. And then I'm going to sign off because I'm already past time. But that's okay. This is important. We need to make sure our our hearts and our minds and our souls are right with our Creator, folks. I don't know what's coming in these next days. But I do know that whatever is going on, this here has caught the attention of the world like nothing else. Like I said, this one just hits a little different. Because they are invoking these archetypes that are ever-present in man. They're invoking these archetypes and trying to attach it to this escalation going on with this warfare campaign. So let's listen to Jesus' words here, and this will give you a real view of what's going on. He says, Now learn a parable of the fig tree, when his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves. Ye know that summer is nigh, so likewise... When ye see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as it was in the days of Noah, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now I'm going to pause right here for a second. Now here is where there is an indication that perhaps... 
some type of a rapture event may take place. He says, Then shall be two in the field, the one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for ye know not the hour that your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. going to pause right there. So now Jesus is kind of telling us something important. So we do have this notion that perhaps a rapture type event will take place where we can be rescued out of such a thing. And it's going to happen much like it did in the days of Noah. But we can know certain signs that we see of things coming. And of course, we've seen every one of those that he listed off. Wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes in many different places, pestilences, famines. We see all of these things, don't we? Contrived food shortages. We've seen that just recently, haven't we? You see, all these things, it's all coming together. But he's telling us. He's giving us a clue here. He says, with this parable of the fig tree, he says, when you see these things, you know summer is nigh, even at the doors. So when you see all these things, know that the time is very near. And then he tells us that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched. Well, he's giving us a little bit of a hint here. He's telling us, when you start to see these things, sometime during that watch, be on your guard, because it might happen any time thereafter. That might be part of the watch in which the thief would come. You see, back in those days, they had different watches. Like one person would sleep and another one would stay awake and keep watch. Makes sense, right? And they would have, I guess, three or four different different watches or sleep routines where one person would keep watch. Well, you know, you if you know during which time period the thief is going to come, then you would be prepared. And that's what he's telling us to do. Know that when you start to see these things, be prepared. Won't hurt to be prepared, even though nobody knows exactly when or how it's going to happen. Be ready. So he's talking about get your heart and mind, your soul, spirit right with God, right with your creator. Because we're living in unprecedented times. We're seeing all this stuff. So let's finish this up. So he says, Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant, whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you, that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. So he's saying, if you're doing the things he wants you to do when he comes, and he sees you doing the things he wants you to do when he comes, that is the wise and faithful servant. That's the one that will have the rewards. So he says, 
But and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder, and appoint his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So we're going to have a lot of people taken off guard by this, because a lot of them have said, they've been saying God's coming back, that Jesus is coming back for as long as I've been alive, and for generations before that, they all said we're living in the last days, and everything just continues on and on, and we've never seen anything like that still. So I'm just going to continue living my life how I want. I don't believe in all that religious mumbo-jumbo. I don't believe in your fairy story book. How many people have you heard speak about this stuff in that way? I have heard way too many. There's a reason the Bible has withstood the test of time, folks. It's an important writing. Even if you want to put aside the religious context of it, it's an important writing. There's so much caught up in there. It's the embodiment of all human experience. Let's be honest. It's a hugely important book. Massively important. There's so much truth written in its pages. Even the occultists and those that are staunchly opposed to Christianity can't deny that fact. That's why they always seek to adopt it somehow into their ideology. There's undeniable truths therein. And they can't deny it. It acts as a stumbling block to them in certain ways, just as Jesus acts as a stumbling block to them, and he told us that he would be so. He's a stumbling block to these people because he makes a way that is simple and goes against all these things they teach in the secret society groups. You see, it was the same groups that were in the power of the religious structure in his days, the Pharisees, Sadducees, and so forth. They were mystery schools unto themselves, they were the priestcraft of the mystery schools themselves. They taught very similar things. They were a secret society under their own right. He knew who they were. He saw through them. And he was a stumbling block for them, just as he's a stumbling block for these secret society groups today. You see, the foolish things of God are greater than the wisdom of men. And he knows this. And he made a simple way that makes all of the things that these secret society groups and mystery schools and stuff teach, it makes the whole point moot. He offers us salvation as a free gift. He offers us a relationship with God. Free gift. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to do anything special for it. You don't have to take some initiation right for it. You don't have to go through special training and learn a secret doctrine and jump through all these ho hoops and take a blood oath to have it. It's a free gift. And it's not of works, but it's because of God's grace and his love for you that he gave us this path, this way. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. It's a free gift. He's offered it to everyone. And all you have to do is accept that free gift. 
And you'll have no worries about these coming days. Because you'll know you'll be standing on the right side of things. If you have that right relationship with God. It's a simple thing, really. And it's because of its simplicity that Jesus himself said it'll be a stumbling block for these people. They like to overly complicate things. They like you to believe there's some secret doctrine, there's some secret that only through years of, you know, initiation rites and through practice and meditation and study and all of these things, maybe you could achieve some occult powers or something and save yourself. Save yourself. You can be a builder. One of the builders. One of the ones that gets things done. The philosophers of fire. You can build your own salvation. That's what they teach. You can be God. You can become God. The Luciferian philosophy, that's what they all teach. And it's all part of the great lie told in the Garden of Eden. You can be as God's. It's a lie. It's a lie. And there's a simpler way back into right relationship with our Creator. And that's through the free gift offered by Jesus Christ. Plain and simple. And that's the stumbling block. And these occultists and these secret society groups, they hate that so much. That's why you daresn't speak the name of Jesus in the Freemason Lodge. You can't pray in Jesus' name in the lodge. They don't they don't like that. They look down on that. He's a stumbling block for them, folks. Made it simple for everyone. He made it so anybody can be saved, can have a right relationship with God with no necessary intercession from some other outside person or any such thing. You don't need to take an initiation right. You don't need to go through some ceremonial initiation. Don't have to take a blood oath. Don't have to learn any mystical secrets, secret handshakes, or any silly nonsense like that. None of that involved at all. And this throws a wrench in the works. Because these occultists, they love, they love all of that stuff. They love to think that they have some secret that they know that you don't. They love the secret knowledge. And there's nothing wrong with seeking knowledge, but gnosis, or knowledge in and of itself, is not going to buy you salvation, is not going to get you in right terms with the Creator. And we're living in very unprecedented times right now. And I think the time is drawing short here for people to try to get back in that right relationship with God. And you need to be there right now. It's your safe shelter from this time of storm coming. Being in that right relationship with God. So, seek to do so. It's as easy as asking Him to forgive you of your sins and to accept this free gift that He gave you. He made a way for you to get back into that right relationship with the Creator, with God. And it's that easy. Don't have to jump through any hoops. That's all there is to it. And that's the important thing. As we're entering this season of the escalation of the eschaton, and we're seeing these things happening in Israel, which is kind of like 
kind of like a symbol of the times that we're in. We were told to watch this symbol. Even Jesus here, if he, he tells you about the symbol of the fig tree, well, Israel could be represented as the fig tree in this allegory. And he says, the time is nigh. It's even at the doors. So we're getting close. So even, even if we prepare our hearts and our minds and get ourselves right with God, and then nothing comes of this and life goes on as it has always, we've lost nothing except we've gained that rightness in our spirit and our soul that we need, that comfort. That is our birthright. You've lost nothing then. And if something big does come, you know you're in the right place, that you're in that allegorical arc where you're going to get through the floodwaters. So make your choice. We're coming forward into a time now where we're going to not be given as many options for making our choice going to run out of time and at some point you're going to be forced your hand's going to be forced you're going to be forced to make a choice on where you stand with this stuff i would say you can't go wrong with choosing to accept this free gift that jesus christ gave us can't go wrong. Because here's the thing. If you look at it from the philosophical perspective, all right, well, what if what if the whole Christian Bible is absolutely 100% wrong and we just come back and get reincarnated anyway? Well, then what have you lost? But what if the Bible's right? Then think about that. What if Christianity's right? Then what have you lost by not accepting this free gift. Well, you've lost everything. You don't have another go around. Thinking about it, food for thought. But anyway, folks, just want to urge you all, meditate on these things, think on these things, because we are living definitely in interesting times, and the world is probably about to get a bit uglier. But no, if you endure to the end... It'll be all good. If you have your heart and your soul and your mind right with God, no worries. He's got your back. He'll see you through it. He'll make a way where there's no way. He opens doors where there are none. I've experienced that so many times in my life. So I just want to speak that word of encouragement before we sign off here tonight. Anyway, I want to thank you all for tuning in. We'll catch you next time. Have a good night now. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender until in God's good time.
the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of the old.